there. You're listening to Unlimited Hangout. I'm your host, Whitney Webb. Today, we are going to be talking about speech and how the concept of free speech is changing rapidly, not just in the United States, but elsewhere, particularly in the West. Increasingly, in the countries that have long claimed to champion democracy and the freedom to say what you wish, speech is becoming likened to terrorism, and those that speak the wrong words could soon find themselves labeled as terrorists for doing so. As I've noted in past articles and also in a more recent speech, the Biden administration's policy documents for the so-called war on domestic terror call for the censorship of, quote, polarizing voices, voices that disagree with the state's narrative and thus foment disagreement and allegedly incite violence. Such speech, if this agenda is allowed to advance further, will label those polarizing figures terrorists merely because what they say might persuade people from distrusting the government. There are precedents for what follows the implementation of such policies, though not so much in the West in recent history. It's not hard to see what the criminalization of dissent leads to and what kind of government makes that criminalization a state policy. To discuss the state of speech in the West today, I am joined by Gareth Icke, a journalist, activist, and musician who is all too familiar with the themes of censorship and how this particular agenda has been a steady, if gradual, march over the course of the past several years and even decades. Gareth and his family, particularly his father, David Icke, have been on the front lines of the censorship agenda much longer than most people. Very recently, David Icke was banned from visiting several European countries after the Dutch government made that decision after consultations with police and counterterrorism officials. Has the line between inconvenient speech and terrorism allegations begun to disappear entirely? We'll be getting into this question and much more in today's podcast. So, hey, Gareth, thanks for being here and welcome to Unlimited Hangout. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. So I guess it goes without saying that the hot topic today is how your father has been banned from much of Europe. So what exactly happened and what was the role, as far as you know, of counter-terror officials in reaching that decision? Um, it, it was, wow, well, it was crazy, crazy. So basically, Dad was asked to speak at a peace rally, an anti-war rally in um, in Amsterdam, um, and as soon as he was asked, he said, yeah, that sounds great. Like, I'd love to do that. And then um, the the Dutch media jumped on that. Um, there's a couple of complaints from organizations that have kind of gone for my dad before um, that, you know, the, the usual suspects that all have ties to Israel. Um, just saying, you know, anti-Semite, anti-Semite, anti-Semite. They never give any evidence of it, of course. They just kind of shout it and it, it tends to stick when it comes to the yeah. media. So the media went on the absolute rampage with it. And it was like it was front page news for like two weeks. It was, um, you know, it was leading bulletins on mainstream uh, news uh, shows. It was crazy, really. Um, but they had all these people in. They had police officers, head of police, um, the mayor. They, they had politicians in there all talking about it. Never asked my dad, obviously, uh, for his point of view. But, um, but then um, it got to a point in the end where, they were interviewing um, two police officers or two police chiefs, sorry, and one uh, one of them said on this um, show that actually, well, we, we, I mean, we can't ban him because you know he's not done anything wrong. Like he's not like as in he doesn't have a criminal record. He he's not breaking the law. Um, so you know, I guess basically we can't stop him coming here. We can't stop him talking. Um, obviously, if he gets up there and starts preaching hate, you know, which obviously he's never going to do, but if he did. They could react at that point, obviously, and try and, you know, shut it down or whatever, but they can't stop him. You know, you can't do a whole minority report thing on it and kind of pre-crime it, you know, to which the journalist, um, for want of a better phrase, said, um, is there not a loophole you can find? 
um, which is amazing to me because, you know, if free speech goes, journalists are the ones that, that are going to feel it, you know, so it just seemed like such a, a lack of foresight. Well, not in today's world, right? Where most journalists are, you know, extensions of the state. Well, yeah, I guess. More often yeah. than not. Fair point, yeah. But, um, but you know, I, I, that that was how, how it was going. And then, but he was still traveling there. He was still going to do it. And so he, he sent me a picture from him, like driving down to the South Coast to get into the Channel Tunnel um, to post on his Instagram. So I posted that. And then I went out for a, a run, like a a 10 minute guilt run because I've eaten too much. And um, <laughs> for some bizarre reason, I just, I don't know why, you know, I just thought I'll just check. I don't have anything to do quickly. Cause like you said at the top, I'm like crazy busy all the time. I was, I'll just check. I've actually got 10 minutes free. And at that point um, I'd received an email from the Dutch government um, with two uh, PDFs in it, both in Dutch, which obviously, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm English. So um, I'm obnoxious and I don't know foreign languages. So I forwarded them over to my dad and to his friend Christiana, who's Dutch. And and then, you know, just, I've just had this from the government. I don't know what it means, but there you go. And then I went for my run. And when I came back, I had a message from, from her saying, that, oh, my goodness me, this is insane. Like, he's banned from um, Holland. He's banned from the EU, which is like 26 countries. Um, and, and then the second PDF was citing um, the current terror levels in um, in holland as as a, a reason for his banning um and the terror levels are are, are are set to level three which is that there is a very real threat and so with him coming that's a very real threat and i was like that is that's we are in the twilight zone now this is madness so it was quite funny so then i just tweeted about it you know like a, like this is what we've just found and obviously got the usual kind of ukraine flag in bios all celebrating it and then um and then i, I then was contacted by a few people from the press um, in Holland that obviously had no interest in talking to us before before this happened. Basically saying, "Oh no, that's not what it says. That's not what it says." Um, and then a um, and then a Dutch politician was interviewed, and they said, "No, no, no. It was done. Um, it was done for his benefit. Like it was it was to protect him. He was in danger." I'm thinking, right, okay, really, um, yeah. And so it was a bit of a backpedal, but they but what they didn't do is they didn't tell the prime minister that that was their that that's what they were going to say. So he was asked about it at COP, um, at COP28, whatever it's called, um, the climate conference. Um, and like I say, he wasn't given the brief that they were pretending it was for my dad's own benefit. So he goes on this tangent about how he's banned because we don't want him in our country and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, well... Yeah, that he's uh, a conspiracy theorist, right? That was that we don't have conspiracy theorists in our country or something like that, if yeah, I'm not mistaken. Yeah, exactly. So it kind of it went against the backpedal because I don't think they... Whitney, I don't think they expected people to kick off. I mean, like I say, a few people on Twitter celebrated it, you know, the usual suspects. But but most people, uh, very much the same as with the Alex Jones thing, um, were, were kind of like, I remember when, you know, it was a billion dollars for Alex Jones. And I saw lots of, I don't like Alex Jones, but I can't stand Alex Jones, but um, because of the level of it, you know. And, and that was the same with my dad. The amount of times I, I was looking through Twitter, which is a, it is a bit of a cesspit to be fair, but I was looking through and there was lots of, you know, oh, my God, I can't stand that nutter. But, like, you know, because this is insane. I mean, you're banning a guy from from the European Union, someone who's never committed a crime, never even been investigated for a crime, never been arrested for anything in his life. He's a 70-odd-year-old bloke, you know. Um, and so it kind of back, backfired on them a bit. Um, and so then they they went on the defence. Oh, no, no, you know, no, it wasn't for that. That's not the reason, because they realised that public opinion was kind of going against them in Holland. Um, and it still is actually. Well, things are quite polarized there, right? Uh, with a lot of the the farmer protests and uh, a lot of pushback against um, 
you know, the the government, which is really closely aligned with uh, the WEF, right? So, uh, yeah, Mark so. Uh, Ruta, how do, I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name, yeah, but anyway, he's Russell, the prime Russell, minister. Russell, yeah. yeah, and and he is like Klaus Schwab's favorite favorite <laughs> prime minister. I mean, they've made it, you know, not really, not it's not really hidden, at least in that regard. You don't have to go looking very deeply to find, you know, that association. It's like a very public one. And from what I understand, you know, this year there was like a a speech that the the king uh, of the Netherlands gives or something. And for the first time it was greeted with like lots of booze. People are very unhappy about the economic situation, uh, the the push to uh, reduce uh, farming and food exportation and food production really in general and all sorts of other stuff. So, you know, I guess... This is, uh, you know, important context to keep in mind when when considering why perhaps they were so afraid of your father um, going to speak because, you know, he's a a speaker that, you know, um, a lot of his audience is inspired by what he says. Right. And and it's galvanizing. So probably (laughs) concerned about that, I guess, giving more steam to the people that are um, increasingly against them uh, at this point. Also, there's a lot. There's a lot of people in, well, in the world in general now. I think, especially through the COVID era, but in in the Netherlands, that that aren't poli- they're not political necessarily. They 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 probably thought the Great Reset was a conspiracy theory um, and things like that. But then they look at things like you know, Holland is one of the biggest, if not the biggest, uh, producer of food and exporter in the world. And now right. all of a sudden, we're not. Or at least in Europe. Not, yeah, we're, or at least you know. And now suddenly we're not growing food, but People are starving all over the world, and now we're like we're told there's going to be food shortages. But now you're the government stopping us producing food. Like that doesn't make sense. And so in their right. in, in their minds, they're thinking something's up. And then obviously, then my dad comes along, and like you know, his weekly things are called the dot connector. So he kind of takes these little dots that people think are independent of each other, puts it in the bigger picture, and then all of a sudden, people go, "Oh my god!" Like they're doing this on purpose, um, and they they'd be terrified if people realizing that. Yeah. So I think. What's interesting is that a lot of this uh, push to really censor and even, I guess you could say, attempts to destroy people's live livelihoods and careers, um, you know, the big targets of that in recent years, I mean, even before other people saw it affecting them, really, um, it was people like Alex Jones and people like your father. And, you know, maybe they weren't right about everything, right? But they were definitely right a long time ago about a lot of stuff we're seeing play out now, including this push to global governance, a push to global technocracy um, and all of that. And it kind of makes you wonder, you know, why they're going so hard for them out of everyone else that they could potentially go after. Well, the other part of it is because it's a two year ban, you know, what, what is it that they're planning in the next two years across Europe that they don't want someone traveling around telling people about, you know? Um, and also the other thing is I I got a message from, from someone a a couple of days ago who is kind of inside a little bit. So knows a little bit of how, how it works in terms of these, these bands. And actually he was saying that, um, it's your, your father's not banned from, from the EU. Um, but actually there's a lot of different countries that use these same, lists so if you're on this ban list for the eu then actually that will apply to almost certainly the us um almost certainly canada uh new zealand my dad's already banned from australia um that was you Mm -hmm. know three three or four years ago and so 
this person was saying like you know it also doesn't mean that that he's he's not banned from non-eu countries obviously there's there's countries in europe that aren't in the european union but actually they use these same lists so if you flew to one of these countries you go actually that's not in the eu that's fine i'm okay to go here um you know you would find that when you got to um up, up to the customs gate or whatever that you wouldn't be coming in you know so actually he's basically under house arrest in in the uk yeah, well, I think that's a, a microcosm of, of what a lot of us are seem to face if things don't um, improve or aren't challenged directly with this big push to uh, just control movements in general and eliminate uh, long long distance travel, not that long from now. Of course, not that wouldn't be applying to the elites, right? That would just be applying to the rest of us. But it's starting with uh, people like your father, obviously, for a very particular reason, and it has to do with what he says and with speech. So I guess the the question then becomes, what are the bigger implications um, of that where, um, you know, these privileges that I guess we're all bound to lose at some point if this um, agenda continues to march forward, why is it being stripped from certain people first? It's because of what they're saying, right? And I think some people haven't really... I've seen that for what it is. I, I was just uh, looking at a story the other day where there's a, a journalist in the EU, I believe she's German, uh, who was reporting from the Donbass in Ukraine, uh, Alina Lip. So she was sanctioned by Germany and Germany made plans to prosecute her. But now it's come out that her parents' bank accounts were closed by Germany and they've had to leave Germany because they've basically been deplatformed because of what their daughter did. And, and you know, again, no actual crime, just... Uh, reporting that that challenged a German's foreign Germany's foreign policy at the time as a German citizen. Uh, that's, that's pretty terrifying. extreme. Yeah, yeah and uh, I, if I'm not mistaken, hasn't your family been censored as a consequence of, um, you know, what your father does and says in in a similar oh, way? Because it's very interesting to me that they'll go after people's families, you know, far beyond just just them. Oh, massively. When I mean the 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 kind of the weirdest one of it is so when my dad had his PayPal taken off him, um, they took everyone's, like they took the families. But but what was really bizarre was they took my dad's like took they took my mum's. So that's like my dad's ex-wife. They've been divorced for years. Like I don't even know how many years they've been divorced for. Twenty plus years. Um, and they took they took hers. And like she would use this PayPal maybe to like pay for like foreign trips if she was going away with her friends or whatever. Um, she's not even got the same surname, you know, obviously, because when when they divorced, she went back to her maiden name. And um, but they but PayPal took hers. And it just felt at the time like that's just really vindictive, like just a nasty little spoiled little brat yeah. who's, who's been told they can't have sweets at the checkout, you know, just a little lashing out um, in such a strange, strange way. Um, and, you know, it's very strange, like. With my dad, you're right in the sense that um, they, they want to shut him up and Alex Jones up and others because of what they're saying. But I think another part of it as well is is that you make examples of them because they don't want to, in my mind anyway, I don't think they want to have to keep shutting people up because that's you know a waste of their time to have to keep deleting people and banning people and punishing people for saying the wrong thing. Um, what the ideal scenario would be was that no one would dare say the wrong thing. And so you'll find, I mean, I saw it firsthand during COVID, you know, I was getting, because I was very outspoken about it, but that's fine because I'm self-employed. I don't rely on anyone, you know, in that sense. And my family are all on board, so I'm not going to lose that. And I lost all my normie friends like 20 years ago, so I'm not worried about losing them. Um, 
so I had no no fear. Whereas, you know, I was getting private messages from people going, mate, I'm on the same page as you. But if I said that on my Facebook, I'd be sacked on the spot, mate. Um, and so, you know, even then you, you're creating this fear. So there's other people that think, well, I think the same as David, but oh my God, yeah, well, I ain't going to say it because this, this bloke's banned from Europe, you know, like, and so people in the end will just shut up themselves and, and not dare say anything. Right. Well, I think that's why they've um, shifted so much towards this financial censorship angle. Um, also, because, it, you know, if you can't use a bank account and you can't use the financial system and you haven't made plans to be independent of that, you know, they kick you off it and, you know, you'll you won't be able to support yourself and continue what you're doing. But I mean, in, in some countries, this has even happened to regular people that just donated to a particular cause, like in Canada, people that donated to the trucker protest and stuff like that had their bank accounts just uh, taken. And that was under, you know, state of emergency, you know, crisis legislation and, uh, you know, terrorism uh, pol or policies originally used for terrorism that were applied in that, in that particular uh scenario but it's not going i mean it's obviously not going to stop there you know um no. and this is something that's not going to stop with you know people who have been outspoken for a long time like your family um or alex jones you know i mean who who's going to be the next person that's ordered to pay a billion dollars for doubting the official story about something well exactly i mean you know that that whole precedent thing being set with the alex jones you know within a few days it was you know all of a sudden george floyd's family are, are, are wanting to sue kanye west for something he said and it's kind of like what was it like 250 million or something they wanted and you're like oh okay right so that 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 precedent has been set already and it's already being used um it's 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 absolutely ridiculous to me that kind of people don't have the foresight because you know people are so tribal so it's kind of like oh I don't agree with David Icke. He's not on my side. Like, he's not in my tribe. So destroy him. Yeah, good, good. Ban him from everything. Destroy him. And what they don't realize is that those those rules, you know, that once they're normalized, they'll come for them in the end because that's how it works. And I was talking actually a couple of days ago to, to Ryan Christian and we were talking about it. And what I found, I mean, I don't like reading the comments because like I say, Twitter is a bit of a cesspit because people are faceless. You know, they'd never say it to your face ever. Like, yeah. Because they just wouldn't, but you know, behind a screen, bang, caps lock, have that. And um, and so I was saying to him, like, but most of these people that are going for my dad, they're all generally, not always, but mostly on the left side of politics. So their their tribe is is you know very kind of you know pronouns in bio, pro Ukraine, and all that kind of stuff, pro masks and jabs and these kind of things, but also very pro Palestine. And you think, okay, right, well, let's think about this. This whole attack on my dad that's been going on for years incessantly in Europe that originated because he was speaking up for Palestinians and against the state of Israel so that's where that started and so you go right no one's on point with the government and with the narrative 100% of the time like you can tick all these boxes so you go okay pro mask pro jab pro yeah. Ukraine pro the next thing you know whatever that's brilliant oh did you just did you just speak out against Israel because you know that's anti-Semitic and so in the end they'll they'll come for them in the end you know, and so it's, yeah, it, totally. it, it's quite strange to see people not realize that actually these these bars that you're celebrating being erected, you know, they're going to be keeping you in a cage at some point, too. Yeah, absolutely. So some of the recent work I've done on domestic terror policy in the U.S. is really disturbing. And this is before even they announced their 
now failed uh, disinformation board and like all other sorts of stuff. Um, but pretty early on in the administration, they were talking about pretty much uh, that they have a, a, an umbrella policy, which is to make people trust the government more. And their way of approaching that is to censor certain people and then basically re-educate everyone else, right? <clears throat> And make what they call a digital literacy program. And that's part of what this disinformation board was like supposed to do. But when they talk about censoring people, they basically say that anyone that creates disagreement among Americans um, is inciting violence and therefore can be considered a domestic violent extremist or domestic terrorist just because people aren't agreeing with each other, which if you follow that to its logical conclusion, everyone must agree and everyone must agree with the state and anyone that uh, opposes what the state says about a particular event or person or country um, or whatever is inciting violence by inciting disagreement or challenging the government narrative. And that's basically terrorism as this, as this is defined. So, you know, that's why I find it really dis- disconcerting that, you know, what we see in this recent uh, situation with your father is that particular line. I mean, they've already said in policy documents, that's the end point, And we're seeing it advance a lot and pretty quickly. Right. So the fact that counterterror officials were involved in deciding to ban your father from the European Union, I think that says a lot. And if they sent you this you know, terrorism related document about terror level three. And that's why he can't be there. They think that his speech that he would have given at this rally would have, you know, I guess fomented disagreement and, you know, allegedly that is now enough for inciting violence. So I guess, you know, we're all supposed to agree and agree with the state and what kind of society is that? Well, that's it. A terrifying one, and it, and the, the other thing they they do and they have done is, is um, is kind of conflate. So, so to me, like I think of violence as violence, like physical violence. That's that's violence. But now words are violent. So actually, you can just speak. You know, so so going up on a stage and saying, I don't know, say kill all Muslims. All right, well that's inciting violence. Uh, but now inciting violence could be saying that women don't have penises, like because that's you know, that's inciting violence because that's harm. That causes harm to people that believe they're a woman, even though they're not, you know, and that kind of stuff. And so in the end, everything becomes illegal. Yeah, well, w- what you brought up earlier about how a lot of the the efforts to like um, smear and get your father banned and stuff started with the government of Israel. A lot of this effort to conflate speech with violence uh, goes back to groups like the Anti-Defamation League, for example who um, are obviously connected to the state of Israel. I mean, they're basically a lobby group for the state of Israel. Their parent organization is B'nai B'rith, which I talk about a lot in uh, the books for people that have been making their way through that um, because, you know, that's basically what the Wexner Foundation came out of. And a lot of these um, people that are the modern day uh, Jewish mob, like organized an ethnic enclave of organized crime that's existed for, you know, the better part of um, the past hundred years, I mean, they basically <clears throat> uh, fund and run the ADL, and the ADL is uh, the group that comes out and basically says, "You want to criticize these powerful people uh, that fund us? You're an anti-Semite. 
you know, to basically, you know, if you want to go and say, I mean, before Jeffrey Epstein was arrested, for example, if you wanted to go and say that something bad about Epstein or something bad about Leslie Wexner, you probably would have had the ADL come at you and say you're an anti-Semite. <laughs> yeah, ex- right? exactly. It, these are these are the groups um, that are all affiliated. They're the ones that initiated the ban. Um, they're, they're the ones They're you know, they're so-called anti-hate groups. Um, that basically, as Dad says, they're, they're hate groups, really, in the sense that they just want everyone to hate their target. So they pick a target, which is yeah, dad, that's a good point. You know, and then they go right. Look how evil and horrible this guy is. But what's really f- amazing to me is, you know, they they attack Dad on based on misinformation, fake news, all that kind of stuff, right? Yet the mainstream media can say what the hell they want, like literally what they want. So when he got banned, there was kind of radio silence for like 24 hours in the UK. And then the the UK press picked it up and the Daily Mail, um, which is a a complete brag anyway, but in the subheader right there, it said um, Ike claims that Jews um, caused the COVID pandemic. And you're like, right, he gets banned for saying that the virus doesn't exist. So how can it, how can it be created by Jewish people? And he obviously never said that. And so I went at them. I was like, you know, can you provide evidence of this, please? Crickets. But it's like, but you can just say that, you know, and someone will pick that up and go, Oh my God, that's disgusting. And you, but he never said it though, because it's absolute nonsense, you know, and it's the same thing where they, they call him. I remember one article um, when this was before COVID, when they they were trying to get him banned um, from a tour that he was doing in the, in actually in the UK. And there was like the center for countering digital hate campaign against antisemitism. These groups were all combined trying to try and get him banned. Um, They actually said in, in one of the articles that he was a Holocaust denier that claims that Jewish people were behind the Holocaust. That was in, that was one sentence. And you're like, how can both be true? Yeah. Where, where's the like? Where, the editor should be looking at it and going, that makes literally no sense, mate. Can you go back and rewrite that, please? But but they just say it and people go, oh, yeah, he is. What, what, both of those things? Yeah, well, I think, you know, with, with people like him and, and the same with Alex Jones too, even though I'm not particularly a fan of of Alex Jones and, and some of the things that he said particularly about Muslim Americans and, you know, narratives about 9-11 and in the war on terror. Um I mean, there's just a lot of, um, I mean, people like that, you can literally say anything about them and no one in mainstream media will challenge you unless the person you're attacking legally challenges you for defamation. Like I'm sure you or your father could probably sue the Daily Mail, right? Over things that he never said and win because the the UK has really strong, um, you know, defamation laws. But, you know, as far as mainstream media or like a lot of uh, how a lot of people think. And I mean, think, I think they're so conditioned to hearing that type of stuff about these particular people, the people that have been targeted for so long by these specific groups that they're just willing to accept it. Like, Oh yeah, I've heard them call him crazy before. Oh, this might be why he's crazy. Wow. He's really crazy and not really look any further than that, you know? Um, yep. Because he doesn't really have, he's not given the same platform uh, to challenge what people, what people on the mainstream media say about him. Right. He's not given that opportunity no. to respond no and that and that's what is so i think so unbelievable really given you know especially the last three years particularly in the uk and i guess in america as well with with the fact that the whole pro you know rona narrative and now the whole pro ukraine narrative has has had almost every single microphone available and yet you know through the internet and through um 
protests and gatherings and stuff like this whole kind of counter narrative has managed to get through. And people like my dad and Alex and yourself and others, the voices have managed to get through, despite all, all, all the either censorship or, or ignorance by, by the mainstream, is, is unbelievable, really. Um, and, you know, they, they're, not, they're not happy about it, I don't think. Um, you know, I think particularly in the UK, that you know, the, the COVID stuff and the digital IDs and all the stuff that they want off the back of it would be so much further down the line if it wasn't for people like dad and others that stood up early doors um, and so I kind of think maybe it's almost like, yes, it's about silencing him. Yes, it's about setting an example to shut people up and getting them to think twice about saying anything. Um, but also it's about, you know, what is coming in the next couple of years that they're preemptive striking, you know, so it's like going around now, right? Who Who is going to speak out against this, right? Well, he definitely will. She probably will. He might, blah, blah, right. We'll just get rid of them now, like a, pro, a preemptive strike of... of so-called conspiracy theorists and, and, and alternative voices before, um, you know, something else comes along. Well, I said this in a recent speech. Um, I was in the U.S. not that long ago, and I gave a speech at, at Children's Health Defense, and it was basically about um, the crisis in journalism and how there's a war on dissent that doesn't just apply to, to journalism or independent journalists. It applies to uh, really everyone <laughs> that uses um, online platforms. And near the end of that, you know, I pointed out that these people um, that I'm talking about in in the speech, it's mostly focused on on the U.S. They want to uh, control the narrative to a degree that we have never seen. Uh, I quote in there a guy from uh, a, a military contractor AI firm that targets misinformation and whatnot. And he pretty much openly says that uh, what needs to be done is to replace, you know, all this um, disagreement, quote unquote, about U.S. government history and all of that with a Wikipedia style database uh, built off of, you know, basically authored by the CIA. <laughs> I wow. mean, it, it's very, you know, uh, out in the open. And so if if you plan to do that, right, and your other plan is to censor all the voices that disagree with that, any sort of truth that gets through to people, you know, people at, on a visceral level, not necessarily always intellectual, sometimes yes, but not always, you know, people gravitate towards the truth. And even if you hide it from them, and that's really the only tool they have is to offer their version of events, and then and then censor, censor anything that doesn't agree with that. Um, the truth, people are able to sort of discern, not everyone, but most people are able to discern the truth at some level that's like visceral, you know, um, or at least that's how I feel. And so if they're so afraid of having any sort of uh, inkling of the truth be available as you know this stuff really starts to advance that you know they have to try and and censor really in every in every possible way and um there is you know i guess some more red lines they could cross but i mean it would be at the risk of totally betraying uh who they really are to their supposed base or at least to the um, you know, the group of people who are sort of in limbo No, like you mentioned earlier in like Holland, like they know the narrative doesn't make sense and something's up, but they don't really know what's going on. They, you know, if they cross that red line and for example, start disappearing people, which has happened in other places that have gone this route before, you know, they risk sort of jolting those people out of their slumber um, yeah. and any other sorts of, you know, any other sort of stuff could, could happen once it reaches it reaches that point. The question is, are we getting close to that? What are your thoughts? Um, I, I, it wouldn't surprise me at all. I think, 
how how pre, you know previously through history they've got away with doing stuff like that is by creating such apathy towards those people from the population and you can see particularly in, in Holland with the mainstream media that's what they tried to do with my dad I mean if you'd have read those articles you know you'd have literally thought he was like the second coming of Adolf Hitler you know that was how it was sold you know he was do you think that's inciting violence against him <laughs> well, yeah, oh, well well it is because he received death threats off the back of it yeah. and all those death threats were reported to um, to Instagram and and uh, they didn't break community guidelines obviously um, but you know it, it's that seems, it feels like it's probably part of it you know that if you create such hatred of someone, then you're less bothered if bad things happen to them. You know, I think I saw that on, on firsthand on social media and the reaction to him being banned, you know, good. So yeah, but what's he, do you know what I mean? Like you've just, you've just been conditioned to hate this person because you've read the mainstream media's version of, of, of who they are. And all of a sudden you don't care that they that they have all these freedoms taken away. You can give a toss because, you know, they're scumbags in, in your mind. Um, and, and that feels like that's the kind of the way it's been set up with this kind of tribal group think um, that we have now where I, I am so ingrained, like in the fact that I'm right, like I am right. And therefore, the fact that you're saying something different to me, obviously, well, then you're wrong then. You must be because it's not what I'm saying. And if you're wrong, well, to hell with you. You know, and that, and we've we've seen that a lot. That I've never ever celebrated anyone being banned or kicked off or deplatformed or fined or or whatever for what they think, even if I think they're an idiot, like or, or I don't agree with what they're saying. It's like that's not that's not how you win an argument. Well, I think a, a lot of people that you're talking about that would like celebrate a ban like this and stuff, they're getting their information from what they consider to be authoritative sources and sources that aren't authoritative. They ignore, uh, they belittle. Um, you know, they see as uh, irrelevant or bad, like as conspiracy spreaders and and whatnot, right? And so it's ultimately based on a, a deference to authority. And so if the authorities are the people, um, you know, trying to silence someone, and they're getting their news from all these, you know, authoritative sources tied up with that particular authority. Uh, I, I guess it you could say it makes sense, but I think it just sort of underscores. Um, that the issue we're dealing with here is um, how the state is trying to control speech. And the people uh, that I just mentioned are, you know, people whose speech is controlled by the state to a significant degree. And that's the whole um, basis of, you know, I support the current thing, right? Um, those people are doing whatever these authoritative, quote unquote, sources tell them to be concerned or outraged about. I mean, it's ultimately, for lack of a better word, it's mind control. And what I talked about in um, in another part of my recent speech is that if you, in order to control human behavior, you have to control how they think, right? And a lot of that is about controlling what speech uh, they're exposed to and not exposed to, right? Uh, oh, exactly. Yeah. You, you, you know, in, in a free society, you would be able to hear both sides, weigh up the pros and cons of both sides, what resonates with you, what makes sense given your personal life experience, and then you make your decision based on that. But, you know, if, if all you have is one side, then that's definitely going to shape how you perceive the world and how you perceive people around you. But I also think, you know, like the point you were saying earlier about people know when they hear the truth. I, I, I agree 100%. It resonates within people. 
um, you know, even to such a, a base like level that, you know, if even if you were in a pub and maybe, you know, there wasn't much room around. So you're like, do you mind if we just sit there, lads? And these two lads let you sit with them and then you end up talking to them. You know when one of those lads is full of shit. Like, you just know. Like, he'll tell a story. You don't know him. You don't know whether his story's true or not, but you just know. And, like, you, you'll go, you know, God, the guy's just absolutely full of crap, that guy was. You just know when someone's lying to you, I think, generally. Um, and you and you you know when when something feels true to you. Um and so what society, what sorry, what the media and, and the governments that fund and control the media have tried to do, particularly over the last three three years, is to tell you not to believe your own eyes. Don't believe what you see, believe what you, we tell you is happening. Um right. and it worked. It worked. It actually worked for a for a for a period of time, you know, in the UK in the end, particularly in England. Um the English people saw through the COVID lies pretty sharpish in the end, and, and hence why you know all the restrictions had to be lifted at a point when you know there's still restrictions in different places all over the world. But you know the masks and all that stuff went in England pretty sharpish because people were like, "No, nah, this is nonsense. I'm not doing it." Um, but at the beginning, they did. They 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 believed what the media was telling them over what they they saw with their own eyes. And I remember saying to people, "You know, how many people do you know?" I don't know anyone. Oh. Okay, do you know anyone that knows anyone? Well, no, I don't know anyone that knows anyone. That's weird, isn't it? That's weird, isn't it? And you'd see like the, the cogs would be turning in people's heads like, well, yeah, that is pretty weird, isn't it, actually? Because I, I know quite a lot of people and I work in a factory with a lot of people and they don't know anyone either. But the, te- the TV is telling me that, you know, everyone's dropping like flies. It doesn't make any sense. And, and then, you know, you realise that you're being lied to. But at the very beginning, that's what they did. Isn't it? The media just said, you know what you see with your own eyes? Just don't believe that. Believe me instead. And and then you have New Zealand where she says the the only source of truth is the government. Imagine saying yeah, that. Yeah, she was really blatant in that regard. But I think also at the same time, you know, like the situation you were just describing, the people that trusted at first and then feel like they got burned, right? Big what time. damage has that done to their agenda? And I think it's pretty clear when you see groups like the World Economic Forum, uh, the Biden administration, you know, governments and media outlets and, and think tanks like this around the world, a lot of their big focus over the past year has been, quote unquote, rebuilding trust with the public. Um, and it doesn't really seem like it's working uh, <laughs> to a significant uh, degree, like in the U.S., for example, I mean, uh, you know, People, the number, the, the amount of people who believe in the mainstream media is, I think, at the lowest point it's probably ever been. Um, I think so, I think it's about eleven percent, isn't it, in the U.S.? Yeah, the, it, the trust I can't remember it exactly, but it's it's quite low, right? And so they have to rebuild that trust. But I think what they're trying to do too is that a lot of the people who have tried to look for an alternative narrative, they're trying to make it very difficult to find that. Um, at least online, which is why I, I say a lot to people that this, you know, fight for truth or whatever you want to call it really has to go offline as well. Um, because these guys, the state, whatever, is focusing a lot of its attention on the online sphere of communication and weaponizing that as much as they can. And uh, they are insistent that only their permitted version of quote unquote truth will be what's available and people that go against that online might even be barred from the internet or worse, especially as this, um, 
this push for digital ID starts to play out. Um, I know that, you know, in, in the UK, right, the the gospel of digital or the, the evangelist of digital ID is uh, Tony Blair, right? But in the US, they tried to pilot digital ID um, for a different reason than Tony Blair's sales pitch. In the US, it was first under the Obama administration, and they called it a driver's license for the internet, tying your government ID uh, to um, your internet access and what you do on the internet. And I think more recently in the UK, they've made this push to tie some sort of government issued ID to your social media accounts and things like that. Um, and it's pretty easy to see, you know, where this is going. So anyway, uh, since brought up some of that stuff there, I'm curious about your thoughts and on a lot of these initiatives going on in the UK right now, um, that are targeting speech. Cause there's a lot of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, the digital ID bit, just briefly, that, um, I mean, Rishi Sunak, who's now the prime minister, who wasn't elected by the people. Anyone, uh, not even people within his own party. No, who's just replaced Liz Truss, who wasn't elected by anyone either. Um, He um, is a big um, proponent of digital IDs. Um, I think it's his father-in-law is... um, is, runs a a company that, that pushes for digital IDs, produces that kind of stuff. So, you know, there's a massive push for it there. But also, like... It's really obvious to see in the UK what they do. You you know who they want to be the next government very, very, very easily. Because what happens is if they want a Tory government, which is what they've got at the minute, the media give the Tories an absolute free ride. Like it's insane. They give them an absolute free ride and they tend to put the leader of the opposition as a bit of an idiot. Um, although in this case, he is an idiot as well. But what they've done <laughs> recently is they've basically pretty much destroyed the Conservative Party with infighting and this and that and the shambles of different prime ministers. The media has massively turned on them and now is 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 bigging up the Labour Party, which is Keir Starmer, who is a sir, um, um, who's, you know, a member of the um, Trilateral, Trilateral Commission and stuff like that. So he's an insider. Um, so they obviously want Labour as, as, as the next government, which is hilarious because they're now marching ahead in the polls when 25 minutes ago they were unelectable. But they didn't have to get any better. They just destroyed the Tories and made them unelectable. So when you look at what the Labour Party are pushing now, um, they're pushing digital IDs um, based on um, to combat immigration. That's their sales pitch now because they've looked at immigration, which in the, in, in England is insane. Um, I think it's like 1% of Albania is in England now. It's absolutely insane. Um, the amount of people that have come over the channel in dinghies in the last... Um, 11 months is you know it, it's i think it's the same amount as like the last three or four years it's like it's, it's there's a massive push for it and they're they're, they're all um you know fighting age men uh, with the 100 pound trainers um so you know make of that what you will um and they're housing them in in hotels they're taking over hotels very expensive five-star hotels in some cases and just sticking them in there while you know there's homeless people on the streets it's, it's insane what's happening so there's as a result of that, there's quite a lot of uproar from the general public because it's like this is insane. What 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 we're doing here? Um, so labour of their 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 kind of sales pitch um, of how they're going to solve it is is ID cards and you're like that's what you wanted under Blair and it got thrown out. So you just you know they always come back and revisit it. They just kind of oh, will come back in a bit with a new excuse for. But isn't Blair trying to make his re-entry into politics? In the U.S., they're trying to make a third party that's like a centrist party, the third way, quote unquote, party. And Blair was, you know, one of those third way type guys uh, 
in the UK, right? Do you think he'll try and I, I, interject he, he, himself? He's, he, do you know what? He's, he's arrogant enough to do it. And he's got um, such um, kind of little self-awareness to actually do it. But he, they'll struggle with him because he is very much hated by most people on both sides, really. And um, rightly so. <laughs> yeah, for the, um, you know, pe people remember the Iraq war, do you know what I mean? And, and, and the lies and all that sort of stuff. So um, him being behind the party um, would not surprise me. Um, although he's, you know, they're doing that anyway. I mean, they've got this, this, um, this you know, Tony Blair Institute, which is kind of embedded in, in, in lots of different Yeah, the Institute for Global Change, it's called, right, or something yeah. like that. Yeah. So, you know, they're um, they're embedded anyway. And that's the thing, because, you know, politicians are just front men anyway. So if you want to rule a country or, or, or push a country's agenda, you don't need to be, you know, you don't need to have the face on the stamp to be able to do that. You know, you just uh, need to have control over the person who's got the face on the stamp. And that's, you know, Blair being involved in that wouldn't shock me in the slightest because he's, he's, like, he's like a turd that won't flush. It's, it just won't go away. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, um, I... If I remember correctly, the UK has been struggling with a particular bill that targets online speech. And I think when Liz Truss came in, she said she was going to alter it. Rishi Sunak has made claims that he's going to alter it. Um, so what exactly is the issue with this bill? Uh, why is it bad? And do you see it being passed or not? Well, it will be passed 100%. It's just what, what parts of it get passed. So it's called the Online Harms Bill. Um, and it it's got lots of different parts of it, but but there was actually a bit of a victory um, for for us really in the last couple of weeks. Now, you know, as they like we were talking with the ID cards, they'll come back and revisit it at a later date, I'm sure. But the biggest bone of contention with most people with the online harms bill was the um, harmful but not illegal. So part of the the bill was that they could basically prosecute people for not breaking the law if it was deemed harmful. Um, and like and I said that, earlier, that's regards you, to online speech, yes, or other. Yeah, yeah, regards to online. Regards to online speech, yeah, um, and you know, uh, video platforms and, and everything would all come under that umbrella. And but but it was so disconcertingly vague. I mean, who defines harm? You know, watching a boy band can be harmful, um, but it, but it, it, you, it would kind of very much tie into this whole kind of push with the whole transgender movement and stuff like that at the moment in the UK, which has gone crazy um, because, you know, the Tavistock Institute, um, which was transitioning young kids, it was just horrendous that, you know, the really young children. And, and so there was a, you know, that got closed down. And so there's been a bit of uproar against it and people actually speaking out against, against that kind of treatment. Um, and so the online harms bill, if it was in place at that point with the, you know, caveat of not illegal, but harmful bit, you know, those voices, you know, people would have got in trouble for saying that kind of stuff because, you know, you can offend and harm people really easily. You know, it's not hard. You say something they don't like, then, you know, that's harm. So that bit was taken out for now, um, which is great because that, you know, that was that was the real dark bit of it that I think most people thought, at least, you know, if you can get prosecuted for something that they openly admit isn't a law yeah. break. Well, the ha insane. harmful but not illegal idea is just insane because basically, okay, it's not illegal, but we're making anything we deem harmful illegal. Yeah, exactly. Right? And, and like I say, like, that is such a vague term, harmful, like, that you can apply that to whatever you like 
You could, yeah. uh, uh, you know, if you're questioning Israel, well, the, the, that's making um, the Jewish community feel feel threatened, and therefore that's that's harmful. I mean, it's everything, like literally anything. Like I said before, like women don't have penises. Well, that's that's harmful to transgender women. So there you go. The police are at your door. It's it, it's extraordinary, really. Um, but another thing in politics, actually, I don't know if you've seen it over there, but this this whole Eddie Izzard thing. The what? So Eddie Izzard is a um, an actor, stand-up comedian and stuff, mm-hmm. right? And he's always cross-dressed. That's always been his look. You know, he's he's married uh, to, to a woman um, and stuff, but he's, you know, he's he's called Eddie Izzard. He's a guy, but he's always, he's always cross-dressed. And then he started sort of saying he was going into girl mode and stuff like that. And people just kind of let him get on with it. Like, whatever, that's fine. You do you, hun. You live your best life, mate. Um, well, now he's a woman um, full-time. Um, and so he's now basically he just wears a pink beret and a floral dress and, and um, Marge Simpson makeup. And now all of a sudden he's a woman. Right. But he's a he's a he's standing as an MP for the Labour Party um, in Sheffield. And he'll almost certainly win because the North tends to vote Labour anyway, um, even before the Conservative Party has fallen apart. So he'll almost certainly win and he'll become a female MP. But, you know, he, he's a man. But he um, he he has been. Um, video going into women's bathrooms and coming in and out of women's bathrooms like you know it's it's, it's created like a real crazy thing around here um where people are female you know are like we, we want we need safe spaces like this isn't right this isn't right and so people that have been standing up against him have been you know getting um banned and given warnings and and um, abused and called transphobic and all this kind of stuff it's been real kind of surreal here to to watch it and so he was interviewed the other day and he was they, they kind of said to him, you know, what do you say to women that have, you know, very real fears about, you know, um, biological men, you know, technically, you know, going into their spaces and whatever. And he's just like, you know, people just need to to sort themselves out and get with the 21st century. It's like that used to be called mansplaining that. But it's it, it really is extraordinary. And for, for people in America, have a look at. Eddie Izzard it's because of just the the absolute madness of it that and and all the um news like the mainstream newspapers call call Eddie her you know she's going to do this she's going to do that and you take a look and well I think even the conservative outlets in in the UK have gone out of their way to be really accommodating of of this stuff uh in particular but I mean it's a really complicated issue so I mean um you know, if you talk to some lesbians, for example, and they have an event where it's biological women who are lesbian attending and it's their safe space. And then all of a sudden, uh, you know, uh, a trans woman who likes women comes and tries to go to, to that. It's a lot of mixed feelings in that community. Are those lesbians bigots? Right. Because they don't feel, you know, are they anti-trans or anti-gay when they're gay? I mean, it's just like, um, a really complicated issue and it's they sort of just make it like only the feelings of one person in that story matter you know yeah well that's how it that's how it is here i mean there's a trans um um organization called mermaids which are a horrendous organization. Well, i think they got in trouble with the nhs and they recently i mean they, yeah. they went like pretty over the, the line on some stuff yeah they're they're you know they're not a nice organization at all but they they're now fighting in the courts to get there's an organization here called lgb alliance so obviously lesbian gay bisexual alliance 
um, where they're basically, you know, trying to protect their own rights. So it's not a case of their rights are just smashed for, for you know, to accommodate the tea, basically. Um, and so, you know, the Mermaid's Charity um, is now going through the courts to try and get um, that organization's charitable status taken away and, and, and banned and all this kind of stuff. It's it's really become extraordinary now um, in, in the UK on, on that front, on that kind of whole gender thing. It's 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 got really quite unpleasant, actually. So do you see a point where, you know, a lot of this like cultural stuff that have become issues, you know, there's, we've been talking mostly about like sort of political speech, I guess today, but do you see um, sort of like speech about this push to alter cultural norms? Do you see that sort of getting thrown in the same, uh, I I don't know, basket, I guess, where speech is being, uh, you know, inconvenient speech is being equated as, as terrorist activity? Oh, almost certainly. I think if uh, at any level, if you attempt to speak out against um, what the, the the agenda is, then it doesn't matter whether it's a political agenda or, or the cultural agenda, the war on kids, the war on the elderly, um, or any of these things. You know, they'll go for you in the same way because it's in you know you pointing these things out is an inconvenience, um, and so they want to silence those voices. I mean, it's very strange. Like, I, I made a bit of a joke, like I said earlier, like how. I think it's one percent of of Albanian men is now are now in the UK, which is insane. I mean, that's absolutely insane. Um, and it would be insane if one percent of English men were in Albania. So, do you know what I mean? It's like it's just it's crazy anyway. Um, um, I think now one sixth of people in Britain weren't born here as well, and it's kind of like. But if this continues, like that's it's obviously going to alter the culture of a country. Of course, it would. It would be the same as as if you know British people went and and went and, and moved into. Spain or, or wherever else, it would it would create a, a difference. So when they banned that, like I just made it a little, it was just a joke. I was just like, you know, like the EU might be smug now, but I'll just, if I want to get my dad over there, I'll just sort him out an Albanian passport and I'll stick him in a dinghy, right? And I just thought it was kind of like a little throwaway joke, you know, oh, mate, the amount of abuse I got from that, from from the blue tick Wokarati calling me a racist and a bigot, they were trying to get me kicked off Twitter. It's like, you know, like when someone reports your tweet, you get the the email from Twitter, you know, telling you how it didn't break the guidelines or whatever. The amount of emails I was getting because people were reporting this thing, it's like, it's a joke, mate. It's literally a joke. It's kind of true, but it's a joke, you know. And so that, you know, like I say, I was called hateful and bigoted and racist just for that. And it's like, but who am I being racist against? You know, Albanians, a dinghy? Like, what? Like, what the hell? But so, you know, that then becomes hate speech. When it's just a joke. Yeah. So, I mean, when it comes to the the illegal immigration stuff, it's really hard. I mean, it's obviously, um, I don't know. In in my personal experience, as someone that's had to move shuffle around the world a bit in the past two years or so, and all these different laws that have come up with COVID and not, it's like been very hard to migrate or move legally to certain countries. Um, But those types of barriers haven't really applied to specific populations that are crossing in specific illegal ways, right? And so that makes you think, well, it seems like these governments that are allowing that but not allowing the other type of migration have a vested interest in that type of activity taking place. And so if you're talking about the uptick in England of these types of um, migrants arriving, I mean, it's pretty undeniable that the U.S. on the southern border is having that as well. And exactly. if you look at this from the the bigger context of people 
um, looking for the eradication, I guess you could say, of nationalism and moving towards a globalist paradigm, what you really have to do is you have to fundamentally alter national identity so that it's not a threat to creating a global citizen identity, which is what, you know, is sort of the underpinning of a lot of the globalism stuff going on right now. Right. Oh, absolutely. So, England's, England's a different place. It's a different place from when I was a kid. And you know, I'm only 40. Like, I'm not that old. I feel it. But it's a totally different place from when I was a kid. So goodness knows how different it is from when, say, my dad's mum was a kid. You know, like that, the place has changed so much. Um, yeah, it's well, also, sure. It's an island. It's an island, too. You know, and like with the, what, the people coming over from Albania, it's like, how many countries have you got to go through before you get to England? So there's obviously a reason for it, for, for it to be England, whatever that reason is. I don't know, but, you know, there's obviously a reason behind it. Um, and, and you're right, you know, um, rules don't apply in, in this case. If they wanted to stop it, they could stop it in the same way, that, you know, they, they can stop whatever other stuff they don't want. They, they obviously... Yeah, I mean, just you know, look at the US, because DHS, the Department of Homeland Security, it's mandate. The reason it's supposedly been needed so badly since it was made 20 years ago is largely about securing the border. And they have no interest in doing that. And they've made it really clear. And there's been a lot of political huffing and puffing on both sides about it, but it's uh, the policy doesn't make a lot of sense at the end of the day. And so, you know, I'll give an example from Chile that's sort of a little removed, maybe for some people that have like emotional, really strong emotions one way or the other about this issue in the US or, or the UK or Europe or whatever. But like in Chile, where I live, there is also a major migrant issue. And there's people that identify as as left and all sorts of stuff uh, that are concerned that Chile is not like it used to be. And they want it, you know, they are concerned that the way they identify with their like, uh, not necessarily nationalism, but like, you know, they like their country and they liked being Chilean. And now they feel like, you know, if you go to a bunch of cities in the North, they're not Chilean anymore. So like, for example, people that go uh, to cities in the far North, there used to be a tourism industry there to an extent for the beaches and whatever. Now there's not because the Chileans that would go there, uh, they just, you know, it's not the same to them anymore. A lot of the stuff that they liked about it at the time isn't there. And like, is it, you know, if you have a particular thing you idealize from your childhood or things that you liked about your country and they disappear because a bunch of people that aren't from there have come, does that make you a racist? What about the people in the, the countries they're coming from? You know, for example, a lot of migrants in Europe are from what Africa and Libya and a lot, or even in the US, they're from Honduras or places where there's violence being created in their uh, home countries a lot of times by these you know the western foreign policy they probably want their countries to stay to have stayed the same and not been totally decimated or destroyed or attacked by these by these entities so we're all sort of you know migrant and non-migrant having these same types of crises within ourselves and what we long for in a national identity it's being taken away from people on both sides and what are we being pushed towards? And But I think, you know, either one side or the other, you know, the left really only focus maybe on the migrant point of view and then the right only fo focus on the non-migrant point of view. But we're all having our our national identities and, and cultural identities taken from us right now. Oh, ex oh exactly. And, and, you know, when you think in terms of the cause of it being government foreign policy, it's that whole chicken and the egg thing, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? Is that yeah. that's the that's the intention of doing it? But you're totally right. Like I, I, it is a massive gray area with the whole thing. But 
you're right. The, the, the leftists very much have this view that every immigrant coming in is a doctor and the, the, the far right have this view that every immigrant coming in is, is a suicide bomber. And neither are co- correct, obviously. Um, but it's one yeah. of those things that you can't have this conversation about. And I think anything you can't have a conversation about. Well, that's why I think, you know, what we've talked about today in terms of speech is so important because that gray area doesn't get talked about. And a lot of people who do talk about those gray areas, they either get censored or they get maligned. You know, someone who listens to your father and you compare, you know, stuff he says with stuff mainstream media says he says, I mean, it's like, really, it's like night and day. You know, there's a lot of, you know, I haven't listened to everything your father said, but like, there's a lot of nuance a lot of the time. And then it gets boiled down and simplified into something that's like, so far removed from what he was actually saying, you know, and that's sort of how they, they characterize them. And they, I, I, I don't know. I feel like in today's world for the powers that be like nuance is something they want to eliminate entirely yeah, or any totally. sort of gray area or, you know, big picture stuff where we sort of realize, Oh, well we agree about a lot of base things and we can start from there uh, and come together, you know, anything that's going to bring people together, which often seems, seems to be in this nuanced gray area to sort of bring the two extremes to a meeting point, you know, they don't like that and they don't want it to be there and they don't want people to listen to it. Not right. At all. Another thing they use, Whitney, I don't know if it's the same in the US, but they use it here a lot. And, and I heard it a lot um, coming out of the, the Dutch ban and all this sort of stuff is it's, it's trope and dog whistle. And so what they can do is they can accuse you of saying something you haven't actually said by saying what you said was a dog whistle for something else. Um, and so we saw it a lot here with the term globalist, like globalist is a dog whistle for Jewish now. Right. And it's like, well, no, it's really not. It's, it, it's, it's a, it's a, a well-used term and it's, there are globalists there. There's people that describe themselves as globalists. Um, but that's something they've done here in a way to, to silence people. So when you can say, Oh, you know, you know, globalists want to do this and then they call you anti-Semitic and you go, well, what's anti-Semitic about that? Like, what are you talking about? Oh, globalist is a dog whistle for, oh, right. okay. So what you're doing is you're accusing me of saying something I didn't actually say by using the term dog whistle or trope before it. And they, they, they do that a hell of a lot in Europe. Yeah. I mean, it's really complicated and I hope people, well, I think people are increasingly getting wise to it in the sense that trust in a lot of the organizations and and outlets that put that push that type of rhetoric. I mean, they've kind of lost the plot with a lot of people. And, you know, I said this during the time during COVID stuff, I think they were overplaying their hand a lot in a lot of this stuff about like the unvaccinated need to be wiped off the face of the earth, you know, that kind of rhetoric when it came out. And now it, you know, they're trying to ask for amnesty and all that stuff. Like they're basically um, <laughs> yeah, acting like, you know, oh, we didn't mean to. And like there wasn't, they're, they're acknowledging there wasn't justification at all for that type of rhetoric and that it was bad and hateful. Right. Yeah. So um, I don't know. Will it keep working? Will it make people that previously didn't question this stuff question it? I think, yeah, I think more people are questioning now than ever. The question is, um, how fast are they going to drop the censorship hammer and under what metrics? And as we're seeing in the case, um, you know, of, of your father, David Icke and, and other people, they're increasingly linking um, their censorship efforts with their alleged counterterrorism efforts yeah. but ultimately people that challenge their authority to them are the terrorists and it doesn't matter if you're you know someone in iraq fighting the u.s military occupation or you're someone in the u.s or the uk online um trying to call or hold the government to account for wrongdoing you know it's all the same in their yeah, eyes i think at the end of the day 
hundred percent. But they're overcooking the eggs, like you said. Like they overplayed their hand during COVID. Um, one thing about that amnesty thing, which is really frustrating, is lots of people have come out sort of asking for, for forgiveness based on the fact that, oh, you know, we vilified these people because we thought it stopped transmission, and now we know it doesn't. I'm sorry. It's like, oh, so so it was so it would still be okay to vilify them if you believed it did stop transmission. Okay, well, that's not really an apology then. Um, you know, but in in terms of that kind of you know link with with terrorism and and all that sort of stuff, they. I just feel like they've really overplayed their hand and they've just woken more people up. Like um, they've had to now try and take the like bowl, which is bowl.com, which is the biggest book um, retailer in, in Holland has now banned dad's books because they were flying off the shelves because people are like wanting to, you know, find out what the hell this guy is saying um, yeah. because you, you banned him from a continent. So he must be saying something. So books were flying off the shelves and, and obviously now they're, they're, they're refusing to stop them. But, but, you know, you could have, you could have, you could have shut down that protest in, in Amsterdam. You could have shut it down. Say, say it was a security risk. Say you'd had, I don't know, say, say you'd had a bomb threat. You know, there was so much rhetoric in the media about my dad that people, like I said, there were death threats on Insta. Say, say that you had a, a very real bomb threat and so you shut off the whole area and you stop it. You could have quite easily done that. And it wouldn't have alerted anyone to anything, really. I mean, we'd have gone, yeah, right. But, you know, most people in Holland would have gone, all right, okay, fair enough. He doesn't get to speak. But instead, you ban him from the Holy U for two years. Like that's going to wake people up. With Alex Jones, you could have destroyed him for wars and shut down Alex Jones by finding him what, like ten million quid? Maybe you could have shut. And a lot of people would have gone, yeah, damn straight. But a billion now, all of people go, well, hang on, like, you know, like there's an organization, an American, I think, uh, company that that you know spilt a bunch of stuff in in the water in India that killed like 15,000 people. They didn't get fined half of what Alex Jones was fined for saying words. And so Wall, I, Wall Street you know, banks uh, collapsed the economy of like the world and they weren't even investigated by the government and they didn't have yeah. to pay anything. Right? There you go. So that uh, makes the Bush up, administration kill a million Iraqis. Uh, George W. Bush is celebrated as a, as a, as a great painter now. I mean, it's like clown world. Sure. <laughs> yeah. But it's woken yeah. people up, I think, because people, like I say, I kept seeing it all the time. David Icke's an arsehole, but David Icke's a nutter, but I mean, these are not people that like our family, but are saying, but this is insane. What do you mean? Like you're banned from a continent. Like that's insane. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's next level. <sighs> well, hopefully it will get better before it gets worse, but maybe not. <laughs> At well, least. We'll see. We'll yeah. See. We'll the see what happens. Do you have any thoughts on, oh, sorry. What's that? I was going to say the more they do it, the more they show their hand though, you know, and, and, and that kind of fills me with a bit of optimism because I think, you know, I don't think that they want to show their hand because no one wants to show their hand. If they could just carry on doing stuff in the background, that would be great. But the fact they're having to show their hand, to me at least, shows that they're frightened of something. You know, they're, if, if I'm in a boxing match and, you know, the only time I'm going to start throwing like crazy haymakers is if I know I'm down on points. Otherwise, I'm just going to keep just keep jabbing away doing what I'm doing, you know? So the yeah. fact that they're, they're flailing so aggressively at the minute says to me, well, that that's, they're... that's why I think possibly if they feel like they can't control the narrative anymore, they just might shut down the internet or shut down a lot of stuff. And so I'm talking about solutions for this stuff. I really think, you know, a lot of people talk about getting local and I think that's important too, but you know, it may be time to take as much as you can um, of this type of information offline to your community or even people that have resources and want to make in-print publications. I mean, that's all stuff to think about right now. 
because that's, 100%. you know, a lot of their censorship efforts are being focused on the people producing the content they don't like and on uh, controlling online speech, not so much in print speech. That's like, you yeah. know, printed by regular people or stuff like that. You know, the, the focus isn't there. So, I mean, there are are things we can do to to help sort this out. Do you have any ideas of your own you'd like to add? Or <laughs> Well, that's happening a lot around, around where I live. So I live in the center of, of England in Derbyshire. It's very rural. And these people are organizing together and, you know, they're, they're taking over farms and, and they're, they're growing their own food and, and this kind of stuff. There's a lady um, who lives here who was on a TV show called Dragon's Den. So she, she's worth a few million quid, which she made um, from some kind of um, some inventions and stuff. Her, but she's very switched on. Her name's Rachel. And so she, um, you know, took over this farm and, you know, they're growing all this food and they're just kind of, you know, and it was funny because she had to defend herself. Bear in mind, you know, food scarcity is obviously a very real thing. We've been told about it all the time. And so she had to defend herself to the Derbyshire Evening Telegraph. The fact that she wasn't part of some end of world world cult is like, now she's just growing food for people that are hungry. That's a good thing. But um, <laughs> but but that, you know, that's mental that you'd be like accused of, of building a cult just because you want to grow food. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but um, at, at a time when the media is telling you this, you know, food shortages, but there you go. But so that's happening. Um, I, I spoke actually at an organization uh, uh, that she was at that actually a couple of weeks ago in a place called Buxton. And it was it was amazing. Um, the number of people, all different ages, um, all very switched on and they're doing all their own thing. And you're right. There's a lot of, you know, having geeked in bands for years, you know, you used flyers to try and get people to your show. And then it all went on the Internet. So you pied off. You did not have to print flyers anymore. It all went on the Internet. And now all of a sudden flyers are back because you can't censor that. It's in your hand. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot of that going on. There's a newspaper in England called The Light Paper, um, which I think spread to Ireland as well now. Um, it's in Wales also. I saw it when I was there. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. So that's getting bigger and bigger and bigger um, because, again, you can't censor that. It's in my hand, like short of coming yeah, out. Yeah, I wish more people in the U.S. would take cues from that because I'm and I think in some places they're doing it. But also the U.S. is a lot bigger than Britain. So a lot more people, well, yeah. I guess, would have to do it to to yeah, have it pop exactly. up all over the place but i'm i'm but, glad it's happening where you are for sure yeah i mean you do find it everywhere as well like you know you'll go into you know a waiting room at a garage and like there's like the big pile of oh man there's a light paper there like in areas that you didn't expect so it's you know it's definitely getting out there because you know people now know that they've been lied to and they they're they're starting to realize that actually those crazy tinfoil hat weirdo dangerous hateful figures that told us that they were lying to us were right well, what else do they write about? And so, you know, people are starting to to kind of be interested in what what we're you know saying, um, and that's probably why the hammer's coming down a bit more now. You know, yeah, that could be. Well, uh, we're about out of time here, Gareth. It was great talking to you. Thanks for sharing uh, your in your family's recent experience and all the craziness going on in the world and in, in your guys' life. So, where can people uh, follow and support your work? Um, I'm still on Twitter for now, but it's always for now because, you know, I don't believe yeah, Elon I Musk can relate. <laughs> at all, <laughs> um, which is funny because I, I appealed dad's suspension based on the fact that, you know, in for a penny, in for a pound. If he's, if he's really, um, pushing free speech as a sales pitch, he's got to at least try and do it for a bit, you know, even though I believe he's a fraud. And, um, I received an email back saying that dad's account will never, ever be lifted. Um, so okay we're, we're about free speech then that's cool um, 
especially when he was banned for medical misinformation, which has since shown to be true. But there you go. Um, but so I'm on there. I'm on Getter because, you know, Getter seems pretty decent in that sense. I can say what I want and I don't, you know, it's free speech. And then Iconic.com, obviously, where, you know, you, you come on um, on our, our show sometimes, which is always a, a real privilege for us. Um, and, you know, there's lots of different series and current affairs shows and documentaries and films and, and, and the like on there. And there's also a seven day free trial at all times. So come and check it out. All right. Super. Well, again, thanks for coming on. Thanks to everyone who tuned into this episode. Sorry about the uh, couple week hiatus. Did try? I did try and let people know that was going to be the case in the last newsletter or a couple newsletters ago that came out. But I was in the U.S. for two weeks. I did some interviews that you may or may not have seen that were in studio. Um, I went to the Children's Health Defense Conference, gave a, a speech there, um, and did some other stuff. Why I was in the U.S. for the first time in like eight years. So uh, I just got back a couple days ago. So hopefully more content will be coming out from me and from Unlimited Hangout in the coming weeks. So um, again, sorry for that pause there and thanks for your patience. And thank you so much to all of the Unlimited Hangout subscribers that make my work in this podcast uh, possible. And yeah, that's it for now. Catch you all next time.